Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Anand Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function. And I'm an actor-writer with an interest in the intimate. We want to fill the gap in the nation's sex and relationship education through interviewing guests on how we relate to our bodies when it comes to sex, identity, and of course, pleasure. Welcome to Season 4. We're kicking off with a mini-series on parenthood. I'm pregnant with twins and finding mainstream narratives about pregnancy and motherhood pretty narrow. Where are the stories about trans people giving birth? What about the choice to be child-free? And what exactly does a doula do? I want to open up the stories we hear at these pivotal points in our lives. As a GP, I have rather too short conversations with people at these defining moments. This was an opportunity to discuss the decision to get pregnant, to try again after miscarriage to challenge how the society you brought your child into would treat them and you, and have a deeper look at the way our health system handles pregnancy and motherhood as a whole. This is by no means an exhaustive set of interviews, but we hope it's a bold start. Our next guest is Sunday Times bestselling author, award-winning podcaster and speaker, Emma Gannon. Her debut novel, Olive, follows the lives of women whose friendship shifts as babies head to the frame. Emma adds a refreshing voice to the dialogue around motherhood through a story whose main character has actively chosen to live a child-free life without regrets. When Emma asked if there was anyone out there who was child-free by choice, she was inundated with responses from women who felt like they weren't seen, from those saying they regret having children to simply not wanting them right now. In this episode, we discuss the mother of all questions, why the child-free choice is often a taboo one. It's a wide-ranging discussion that digs deep into the choice to be child-free and how no choice is better or worse. It's just right for us. I don't know whether it's my journalistic kind of background but I want to just put a little seed out there before I get too deep in a project and I basically did a tweet in like 2018 so it's like two years ago now just saying is there anyone out there who's child free by choice and do you feel seen do you feel represented I'm interested in writing about it and at that time I didn't know it was going to be a novel I thought maybe I'd pitch it to a magazine or something and it was just one of those moments where I got like 200 replies in an hour and then my dms were going off and then my emails just people saying like i don't really feel seen in the media or culture even in films and tv you know where are the role models for someone just living a really healthy fulfilled happy joyful life and not having children and and i and i suppose it's quite specific what i wanted to write about Of course, in my book, I do talk about many different types of women and their background and their relationships with motherhood. But I really wanted to write a main central character who has actively chosen to live this life and has no regrets and feels really fulfilled and feels like she's having it all in inverted quotes. 
has it all and has an amazing life, but just didn't have the children. And one of the questions I asked the women was, what's the most annoying thing people say to you? And that was when people sent me like 20 responses from you'll change your mind to who's going to look after you when you're old to, oh, you haven't met the right man yet. And those are all the things that I personally get. And I understand. I understand why that's annoying because it's such an ingrained social construct, like a, a social kind of small talk that people, I just wanted to kind of bring it up and, and call people out a bit because it's really annoying. <laughs> it is. As soon as I got married, people started non-stop tapping their watches at me and asking me about when I was going. I mean, literally, physically, in front of my face, tapping watches. Usually men, I have to say, um, and asking me when I was going to start having children. Um, and then about three years later, it sort of went a bit quieter. And it was almost like, don't speak to her about that because maybe something's up maybe something's wrong mm -hmm. but it, it does feel like there's a certain age where this pressure starts to become very evident and it seems to be okay to, to just ask women this on the street practically. totally and that's weird in itself because we shouldn't be thinking about each other's wombs in that much detail I don't think like I don't understand the obsession yeah I mean I have friends who actively kind of are child free and want to be and they do make it awkward for the person when they ask you know they'll say something like to make them feel bad and I <laughs> and I don't know if I completely agree with that either but I don't think it's just about being in your 30s and being child free it's sort of I've had some feedback already from older women who do have children who have said this really resonates with me because that never stops like it never, ever stops. You will have a child and then literally a year later, it will be when you're having your next one. And then you'll have your second child and it'll be like, well, why aren't you having another one? Or it's just like, it's never ending. It's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like we're taught this happily ever after story of life's bingo card of, I mean, this is very heteronormative and traditional, but I mean, that's what is often sold to us, I think, growing up of, well, you meet the right person, you settle down, then you get married, tick, you have your child, tick, or and then you sort of don't hear the rest of the story. But actually, yes, you don't hear the rest of the story because it's repetitive and ongoing. It just continues on and on as if there's no satisfaction. Can't you be happy with this? Can't I be happy with this around me now? It's um, totally endless striving. Yeah, and it's a weird nosiness, isn't it, I suppose, I don't know where it comes from, but I found it with, even with the release of the novel, people cannot help themselves. They have to ask me a personal question and I don't mind it because I'm putting myself out there. But it's just interesting that someone can't read this fictional tale without wanting to like poke at me and be like, well, do you want a baby? Maybe it's just a topic we haven't quite covered enough yet. So I'm, I'm glad to be in the ring and like discussing it. I want to address that bit of it because, um, you know, it, it, it's a novel and it's not an autobiography or a memoir. And I think you've been really clear about that. I think it would be too early for me to try and write a nonfiction on this topic because I suppose the truth is, and I wrote about this for the current uh, edition of Elle, it's funny because in the headline it said, Emma Gannon doesn't want children or something like that. And then I made them change it to Emma Gannon is pretty sure she doesn't want children because this is the whole thing is I'm not writing this in stone. 
I know I think in my bones that I don't. I just I just think I've known that from actually a very, very young age. Sounds strange to say it, but like literally from like holding dolls when I was younger, like I don't I just I don't know what it is. I just I've never felt that maternal kind of broodiness. I felt maternal in many other ways, but not in that specific like babies. And it's just really interesting because I still don't want to say a hundred percent that I know what I want. I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years old. So I want to leave that door very much open. So I think that's why I wanted to write a novel because I feel quite set in my ways now. And so I was like, oh, I can really put that into a character. Like I can write a character who absolutely knows without putting myself out there at an age where I'm still figuring things out myself. And I actually think that made me quite the perfect person to write this novel because of this sort of like Play-Doh um, like in my mind at the moment, like I can stretch and I can feel and I can I can understand maybe what it's like to maybe want one or maybe not. And mm. so actually, I don't know, I like that nuance. I like that nuance in the book yes. of understanding lots of different points of view and stepping into the shoes of lots of different women. Yes, even though at her core, Olive knows she would probably like to be child-free, um, it's an evolution and she's coming to that realisation. And I, it really resonated with me. There's a brilliant bit in the book about um, Cyril, this rather awful, if I'm allowed to say, <laughs> lady, who's really exploiting, I think, women's anxieties. And she says, as women, unfortunately, we cannot trust our own hormones. And then Olive says, "What? Well, so we can't trust our own feelings. And I think that's a really poignant point, actually, for women who are uncertain on that journey and are you know, always trying to touch base, touch up in with our gut instinct. Do we want this or not? But it's so warped by peer pressure, by us being told about what, what to expect, what to feel. So much so that, we, yeah, we can't, we can't actually hear what's going on inside. How do we trust our own feelings? What does a maternal feeling feel like? But that evolution, I think, is so rarely explored. The pull and push, as you say, this Play-Doh of, being, of not being certain. I'm so glad you mentioned that Cyril bit because someone who will be announced soon, which I'm really excited about, is doing the audiobook version. And we were like, what's happening recently? And she was like, you know, these um, characters in the book, like Cyril, and then there's also the therapist called Seal. She was like, are they just supposed to be really unwoke? Like, are they just meant to be, because they're quite problematic. Like, are they meant to be? And I was like, yeah, definitely. Like, I've planted these characters in who I have made, I think, quite problematic and and that's what I think is quite good about fiction I hope is that you can say things that I would probably never say in real life and they're not necessarily my thoughts but I'm presenting them in order to show an issue I think what's interesting about the hormone thing and like can women trust themselves that's such a historical kind of gaslighty thing around women being hysterical and not knowing their own minds and being forced into things and Whilst writing Olive, I did realise this is a very kind of like privileged millennial novel, I will admit, because there are still places in the world where women can't make the choice to not have children. Like there are many places still where people are forced into pregnancy and motherhood. So I found that quite obviously quite disturbing to think about in the context of the novel, but also the fact that I'm getting some very personal, anonymous kind of messages at the moment around the topic in terms of women who are saying, hi, Emma, I love the idea of this book. Um, I love that you're talking about child-free life and like, I really want to buy Olive, but I'm not sure if I should read it. And when we dig into it, they're basically saying, I have times where I think I regret having children. Wow. 
And I feel like my mum did it, my grandmother did it, all my friends are doing it. And like, what do I do when I realise I fell into this pattern without actually thinking about it? And that has just been, you know, quite a lot in terms of the topic, but so fascinating as well. It's odd how a person writes a book and it has obviously its intention, etc., has come out from you, but other people see it as a threat or an expose of their life choices. You know, when you're younger, you know, d- doing what you're told or you know, following the path of the least resistance seems like an easy way to get somewhere. But actually, I think what you're addressing, and I think you address it in the book, is about following this sort of pathway of, t- of tick boxing that, that Naomi described gets you to a place where you haven't actually made any choices. You've just accepted what you've been told to do. Mm. It's not an aggressive, targeted agenda at all all of the characters i believe are kind of following their own path in their own way they are doing their own thing and and they're all thinking about it along the way and that's i think what true empowerment is is you sit with your thoughts long enough to realize what you want and i think in this culture of comparison and social media it can really free you i think because if you're not sure what you want it must be very very hard to scroll through instagram just just being jealous of everyone, basically, because you don't know what you actually want. And I think you can get to this place. Um, I'm probably not there yet, but I know that I can scroll through and I can know, oh my God, that's amazing, That, but that's not for me. And that can be quite a good feeling, I think. That's nice. My last book was really different. It was a career book about being a multi-hyphenate and the amount of people that would say, that's all very well, I'd love to do that, but I know my parents wouldn't be happy. And I just found that really interesting. I was like, we're so obsessed with making our parents proud. Like that never goes away. And it's it's sweet and it's lovely. And I absolutely know how that feels. But there's got to be a point where you kind of have to say, like, love you, but I'm going to go over here and do this now. And you might not get it. And it might be a cultural or generational difference, but I've got to do me. Yes. Yeah. But that can be rather difficult, can't it? Trying to go actually to your parents or family or whoever and go, actually, I'm not going to have kids. So that expectation you have of me or that thing that you have always expected for yourself from me isn't going to happen now for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky because I've got quite a few siblings. So I'm like, you do that. <laughs> they <laughs> I'm going to go over here and, I like that. and just like chill. <laughs> but yeah, it's... um. It's an interesting one. I mean, I I did feel weird the first time I sort of hinted that I probably wouldn't be doing that. And, you know, I'm lucky that obviously there was no pressure from from them. But I think some people, I mean, it's like really intense. You know, when am I going to have grandchildren is like a huge thing for a lot of people. And that must be really difficult to navigate. I love that moment, actually, when um, Olive's mum messages her and is saying nothing but about the baby photos or something to do with the, uh, another person's child, which is completely irrelevant to Olive's life. Like, why do we need to hear this? And it reminded me how surprising it can be sometimes when you suddenly realize you're under pressure from your family to have children when you actually didn't think that that pressure would be there that they might be the most woke progressive people like my mum is a staunch ass feminist right I mean she I'm an only child so grandchildren will only be coming from me but she is totally about independence career I mean she is proper yeah political and yet when I hit about 33 she started asking me when are the grandchildren coming and I was so shocked. Like, Mom, where the hell has this come from? Because this is not you at all. And um, 
I actually, I didn't say anything. I just got very upset because uh, I, I just, I suddenly felt, well, if she's saying it, then maybe it really is a thing. Maybe I really should be doing this. And I decided to sit her down and ask her about it more. And I suddenly realised the pressures for her to be a grandmother were equal to the pressures for me to be a mother. Mm -hmm. She was saying how in her book groups, various groups, all of the women were sitting around sharing photos of their grandchildren, but were leaving her out because they thought, oh, well, oh, she hasn't got grandchildren, so we won't talk about it with her. And she was feeling ostracised. And so that trickled then down to me because she wanted to be part of her social group again, that it's sort of, it's on all yeah. levels. <laughs> It's so funny. It's like, it's like, oh my God, my pregnancy is your book club announcement. Like, what is that? How, how is that fair? But I, I absolutely hear you because those are massive milestones, not just for you, but for your other members of your family. So I totally get it. The other thing I just want to mention is I think it really does come from a loving place and it's very much people trying to help a lot of the time, to be fair, if it's like an older relative, because... I think they've been told for so long as well that you can leave it too late and then you can be in a situation where you, you're like, oh, do you know what? I actually was kind of into the idea of it and maybe I was like 70% not sure, but actually there was 30% of me that wanted it. So why didn't I try sooner? And I think we still don't know that much about women's bodies in terms of statistics. There still isn't enough research done into anything to do with women's bodies. And I didn't know how common miscarriage was until really recently that you don't just snap your fingers and get pregnant you know that people can go through years of pain so when people say like oh you know you're getting on a bit or whatever of course it's offensive <laughs> but sometimes I, I try and also see that they're maybe doing something positive in their yes, minds of course of course I just wanted to mention sort of the, the, the heteronormativity of it all about getting pregnant, but also the fact that, you know, as a gay man, that when I was younger, I mean, I think I've wanted kids literally since I was a child, that there's always that sense of wanting to be a, a parent and wanting to care for someone and wanting to pass, you know, um, sort of, I don't know, uh, knowledge onto them in some sort of weird pedagogic kind of way. Um, but I, I met my partner about 10 years ago and he just said, I'm not having kids. And if that's something you want, that's great, but it won't be with me. Um, and I just had to really address my feelings about wanting to have a child. And I realised that actually I didn't want a child at all um, because I, I don't want the hassle of a child. I want to love someone. I want to look after them. I want to be relied on. I want to relate to someone. And I can do all of those things completely outside of having a child. You know, I used to be a school teacher and in loco parentis was really true phrase. You really did look after some kids. Not just, you know, you love them like their parents do. Obviously, you're just grateful some of the fuckers get home. But yeah, I'm just saying that actually there was a real sense of, of sort of joy and pleasure in their, in their accomplishments and in what happened to them. But what was most lovely was just them going and going, actually, I don't have to be responsible for you now. I don't have to worry about you in the summer holidays. I don't have to worry about you in the evenings or weekends. I don't have to worry about your bad dates or whatever it is that might be going on um, or you, you getting drunk or whatever. Um, you know, I've got six godchildren. I have that mm, now yeah. in my life and it doesn't actually require that. So me sort of recognising that the roles I sort of have don't have to be like that but also recognizing that there is this Disneyfication of or line I'm fed and I, I, I'm susceptible to as a gay man just as a straight woman might be or whoever that actually I should have kids and actually what my partner's been really good at is going why does my life have to look like a heteronormative life you know I, yeah. I don't have to live by other people's rules or decisions I love what you're saying about how that is enough 
like what all the things you just listed is enough. And I think that's why there's this weird thing around even the terminology of child free. People up until very recently would say childless because they would think that your life was lacking, that you were missing something. And I think that's what's changed in the last however many years. You're not lacking. You're not missing out. It can be complete. But it's interesting that um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who's one of my favourite authors, who I'm sure everyone listening has heard of, she has this idea that there's mothers and then there's aunties and obviously the male equivalent as well, that actually you can love and nurture and give and be so available to all the children and kids in your life when you're like the auntie or the uncle. And there's so, we need that in society. We need people who can offer a safe space and be like, do you know what? Come round, I'm going to help you with all your problems. And then yes, I will push you out the door again after a few days, but like you'll always have a safe space. Um, and I really can't wait to be that person as well in my nieces and nephews' life. You mentioned about you know, when you were a child and like being, playing with dolls and stuff and actually already from that age, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel kind of like, what am I meant to be feeling about this? And about whether women are trying to be prepared from a very young age, groomed almost, to be mothers. I think that it's really interesting that we know from such a young age, like these signs about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but like, I think you know your sexuality at a certain age, don't you? Um, you, you, you know, certain signs and like little hints about the person you might be. And I read somewhere that our personalities apparently are formed by the time we're eight years old. So who knows if that's actually true, but I've definitely read that somewhere. Um, and I, and I can understand why there's some element of truth in that because when you look back to your childhood, and I always say this when people are actually trying to unblock in terms of their career, what did you like when you were a child or what? like lit you up when you were younger and a lot of it is very similar to what lights us up as adults so yeah I think spot clues in your childhood for sure mine was playing I just love playing and we're told to stop doing things I think that bring us joy quite early on I don't know I just think the kind of conversation narrative around creativity like being silly or being not a real job or being something that you shouldn't do because you know it's embarrassing or you know I, I don't know I, I don't think all parents are like this but I just know from interviews for my last book about careers a lot of people's insecurities do come from a teacher or a parent or an older person just saying you know you're being too loud or you know you're taking up too much space or that's not very good. And so people can kind of put their paints and, and crayons and artwork in a drawer forever. And I think that's why people f really feel like they do want to have a creative career, but they, f they feel like they're just being a bit silly with it. Um, so yeah, it's like being your childish self, basically bringing that into adulthood is always good. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
I am currently pregnant at the moment with twins. Congrats. Uh, so I, 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 I did, did choose to have the children in the end. But before I had sort of settled on either side of the fence, I certainly felt like quite a few of my friends who had had children wouldn't necessarily allow me into the mothering role. I mean, I am a godmother to, to one of my best friends, little girls, uh, Leona, and, you know, I, I felt hugely moved by that. But there was moments that felt extremely significant to me of friends having babies and not passing them necessarily to me for a cuddle, but passing them to other mothers and saying things like, for example, oh, I can't wait for you to have children because until then we can't really be friends like we were before. I mean, as honest and direct as that, because you'll never fully know the love that I feel for my child. And I mean, it's almost broken up friendships because I felt so crossed by these, you know, okay, I might not understand exactly what you're going through, but uh, I have empathy. I can, I can understand. I want to be part of your life and I want to be part of your children's lives. But there was this real fallacy that I wouldn't be interested in hanging out with the kids because I didn't have children myself. And it really started to make these divides happen in the friendship groups which I feel that you really illustrate really beautifully in Olive actually as well um but it's painful it's so painful to be ostracized god Naomi that story is quite triggering (laughs) just because just because I made up a lot of the arguments in the book I I haven't had one of those um not in real life not not yet maybe I will but hearing about that it does make me sad I think I wanted to write about how friendships do change and I don't want to play it down I cannot believe that women do this with their bodies like it is the most magical thing on the planet I don't think I'll ever understand if I don't go through it and I wouldn't pretend to but I also think that we don't have to divide over that. I don't think it's an us and them. I don't think it's a like, you don't have children, so you don't know how to love. You know, I have heard that. I've heard people say that. I don't think that's true. I think you're probably going to experience a different type of love. I think you're going to experience a different type of joy. But I don't think that means child-free women don't have those things. So I hope the book shows as well that the friendships can break down, but they absolutely can come back together again. I mean, it really is one of the most painful things, having a friendship breakup, and sort of feels mm-hmm. bamboozling because there's no fucking love songs written about it necessarily. <laughs> there's no <laughs> breakup songs for yeah. friendships. That's what we need. And also from both sides, people can be the baddie. Like I have definitely felt threatened when my best friend's been pregnant. I've been like, you're going to leave me. And that again is problematic you know it comes from both sides I think I definitely feel that about the loss of friends I mean I I used to have a lot of straight friends when I was younger and one by one they got married and had kids and people who were just you know would hang out with three times a week would completely disappear from my life for a few years and yes you know I'd I'd go to the birthday I'd go to a christening but perhaps I'd probably see them twice in a year when I used to see them you know three times a week and and that loss of um intimacy I think was really hard for me because so many of my friends were straight people coupling off Um, and and now I've had to generate a new family of LGBT plus people who are well less likely to run off into the sunset and disappear from me and it's it's, that's how it feels sometimes it's like I've got a new family and they are more likely to stay around yeah I don't think we should have to kind of like go our separate ways at that point it's almost like I know that to my 
uh, friends of children, sometimes they want to rant about the mum world for example, that I don't want to generalize, but it can be quite competitive. It can be quite hard to navigate. And she finds it really great to be able to rant and moan to someone like me who isn't in that world. And so sometimes I feel like we could be cutting off those really great friendships for no reason, really. Actually, over time, as their children get older, um, our relationships are sort of reinvigorated. Oh, that's great. Uh, partly because actually uh, the, the children are great. And actually, my my sort of bonding with them allows me to kind of uh, sort of bond with their parents. Once they stop well. being little blobs, so it's, it's, once it's, they started being people, <laughs> is that what you mean? I have to be honest. I have to be honest. The first ten years, I'm not particularly interested in. I'm really not. But one, you know, once I can chapters. take them shopping. <laughs> And I think this is what your book really describes really nicely. It's that all of us evolve. And yes, I will have felt some loss that I've lost my straight friends, but I've never lost them. They're just paused for a bit. And, and, and actually you see them again and it feels like they've never left. So, so it's just that I see them less often and I had to get over the fact that it wasn't a loss. It was just a pause. And, and I think that has made me um, sort of uh, appreciate our friendships anew. Yeah, that's lovely. Talking about competitiveness of parenthood and mother's groups, that kind of thing, there's a fantastic character in the book who is the image of perfection. Do you think that there is sort of equal pressure on people with children to show that they've made this choice, but that they're coping with life perfectly and it's and it's absolutely perfect, as well as the pressure on child-free people, the competition performance to show that you have made the right choice. Don't feel sorry for me. Yes, 100%. And I think that's where the cracks in the friendship form is when we're not being honest with each other and when we're just trying to pretend. I wanted to talk a little bit about that, just about how it's no one's fault if they're feeling insecure, but I think to young women who are not sure if they want to be mothers, I think we kind of should owe it to each other that we're honest about the highs and the lows because otherwise we don't really know what we're getting into. And for example, the character in the book was sort of based on someone I do know who from the outside, I was like, I don't understand how she's doing it. Just, I just don't actually logistically understand it. Like, has she cloned herself? Because I don't understand how she's in the office that amount of time and she's posting on Instagram doing all these things and she's going, it was like, what is this? And then later down the line, she said, oh yeah, I have, um, I have two night nannies and I've got a daytime nanny and I've got this and I've got that. And, and it's confusing sometimes from the outside from a very innocent point of view, just like, I don't actually get it. Like, and, and now my failing. I, yeah, well, that's the thing is that I wonder whether people see these uh, Instagrammed perfect families or that are really having it all, that business and family are seamless and, and, and hugely functional. And I just think that's really not the reality in my waiting room or in my consulting room. We've got people sobbing because they're so worn out. You know, they come to the consulting room because their partner has to keep the kids for 10 minutes or something like that. You know, and they're, they're just knackered or, you know, you, you've got, you've got someone who's a new mum and they just literally want you to hold the baby so they can go for a poo or something. And it, and it's sort of, uh, the, I just feel that the reality, if, if you're, if you don't know the reality of what being a parent is, how do you expect someone to make a valid choice about being child free or not? Mm. It's like an operation. You know, you need to kind of know what the potential outcomes might be so you can make an informed, consensual decision. But it's interesting how much information we can get now with the internet, obviously, and like late night Googling. And I think that's why I wanted to show in Olive is how much is too much sometimes in terms of knowing, because 
I remember asking my mum years ago, what was it like giving birth? And she's like, oh, it was great. And that was it. It was like, oh, okay, you really aren't going to tell me any information. It was like, there's a barrier there. I just assumed that my parents' generation from their friends and talking to them, they just didn't really talk about it. They just had a baby and got on with it. Whereas now we're talking about it. But I know some people who would rather not know, like they'd rather not know all of the details because then it might put them off. But I read a book this year by Laura Dockrill. She wrote the first memoir pretty much on postpartum psychosis, which is quite common, more common than we think, which is not just postpartum depression, but like a very, very serious mental illness. And I find that weird that that's not been spoken about too much. There's so much hidden. There is so much hidden. I mean, why? There must be a multitude of reasons. But in order for us to continue having children, it feels like it's the main main argument. Certainly my mother, I had looked to her as a blueprint, a body blueprint, really, for what I'm going through. And um, no, (laughs) that that, that hasn't worked out. She can't remember a thing. She cannot remember. But even half my friends who have just had children, maybe a year ago, can't remember half of the the things that you go through because because mm-hmm. each stage each week even feels like a whole new era of your body like going through something massive that you know one week I'm worried about the fact that I haven't been able to poo for four days the next week I'm worried about the fact that I'm producing colostrum for my nipples from for no one told me even that even happened so like each week another but isn't thing- that crazy that you can like I absolutely completely would be the same there's certain things where I'm like I'm 30 years old I went to quite a good school why do I not know what actually happens how do we feel like we can live then without the fear of regret or of other people's opinions when we have finally come down on one side of the fence or the other or or we're still navigating that way how do we stay strong in our instincts devoid of worrying about what other people are going to think about those choices. I think at the very heart of it all as human beings, I think the worst thing for us is FOMO, um, which is essentially a fear of dying because the biggest FOMO is you're dead. (laughs) So you're not able to join in. And I genuinely think that's like where that comes from, that fear of like, have I done the wrong thing with my life comes from. Um, And I don't think that ever goes away. You know, our life is our life and we can't live in regret, I don't think. I think to to get to to get pregnant and like really want the baby is enough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Although those comments from from mothers finally sort of admitting that actually have I done the right thing feels like a revolutionary, radical thing that people are, are finally saying, you know what, actually Maybe life would have been better without them, actually. Maybe I was pushed into this. I mean, Olive talks about, she says that there's a hidden shame related to motherhood, whether you want a baby or you don't. And I think that's so interesting, that no matter what choice we make, actually, there will be shame. There will be shame attributed Mm -hmm. to it. I do feel for these women who are coming forward and saying this, but I also think it's an incredibly powerful discussion to be having for anyone listening, who, if they're just taking a few more days, weeks, months, years to decide what they truly want. I think the world is sort of a better place for it. 
I don't know if, if for you, but fertility may seem different for men and for women. You know, and I recognise that fifty percent of 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 sort of fertility issues are with men. So you know, it's not like it's the woman's issue if you if you're trying to get pregnant, you can't get pregnant. Um, however, I wonder whether because men keep making sperm, and I do recognise as, as men get older, their fertility declines as you know, as it does women. There's not such a finality. For men, you could potentially be having children in your 60s and 70s. Wow, yeah. So what does that mean for if you're a man saying, okay, do you know what? It's fine. In our relationship, we don't have to have kids. You know, we can be child free and live that excitement. Because is it in their minds that this isn't the case for me? That time limit, that ticking biological clock, the point that women are just, I guess, just forced into making a decision, it could be quite rash. There's actually a non-fiction book out on this very topic by Nell Frizzell called The Panic Years. She sums it up so well because it is the panic years. It's intimidating and it's intense and there's a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. I, I'll always remember that bit in Sapiens where you realise the biology is is everything when it comes to like why women get very attached to men after a one night stand, whereas the man doesn't because the man wants to sow his seeds a bit more during that time. <laughs> whereas the woman's like, I want a baby now, or at least your body thinks it does. Yeah, it's, it's sort of terrifying how at the mercy of our bodies we can be and how much we try not to be as well. No yeah. wonder we find it so confusing and tricky navigating our instincts and our gut instincts when we're fighting all of that business and trying to live our own, whilst trying to live our own lives and forge our own paths. That's but from good. a male point of view, do you think that it's quite nice to have a little bit more time and flexibility in that respect? Like, I think it eases things. I think because it, it means that you almost don't have to make a decision. And therefore, there's no pressure in that mm. sense. The panic years is also about the fact that women trying to get really, really powerful jobs in certain companies means that taking two years out is also quite intense during that time. We're not very set up in the UK, particularly for women to become mothers in senior positions mm. or in any position, really. You know, women will earn less money over their lifetimes. They'll be more dependent, et cetera, et cetera. And it makes me think about the mother of one of my goddaughters. And she was, she's Danish and she was, it works for the foreign ministry. And her being pregnant and her being on maternity leave seems like such a different event to my friends here. You know, she was given so much support there, you know, full-time childcare when she went back to, to work. Wow. And the, the sort of pressures that, that could be taken away from women if we were organised differently. Or, mother, or parents yeah, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, um, in, and in that's you know, context. a traditional work setup. And even then it doesn't work. And then when you think about freelancing, which I suppose is something I write a lot about when I see friends who are really successful freelancers hide their bump in floaty dresses so that their employer doesn't book another photographer. And then 10 days later, after giving birth, got back on the tube to go and get a job because that was going to be her big job of the year. So that would make up like basically most of her annual salary if she didn't do that job. And it was quite intense seeing it happen. And so I think, yeah, for me personally, just to like throw my two cents in, like I wrote in the L article, I've worked, I feel up to a point in my freelance career, self-employed career, I'm the breadwinner between me and my partner. And I, and I don't know how I could take a year out right now. I don't know. I mean, I genuinely don't know. This is ridiculous. It feels like there's a hurricane coming and I'm not prepared um, how I will be able to take any maternity leave. 
no idea no mm-hmm. idea and when I asked my agent what um other writers do his other female clients who are mums he just went well sometimes they take a couple of weeks off and then you know they often hand in a script and I thought okay so that's what I've been so so I'm being told now really there is no there's no rest I don't feel like how we're meant to be parents how we're meant to be continuing um doing work which is in uh, which is different which is bold which is taking risks i don't think that this country supports its freelancers or values them at all and i'm feeling that now yeah. facing motherhood more than ever it all ties in together with the with the conversation about how women of this generation probably look around and think where is this amazing role model that i'm like what what am i supposed to follow like what's the formula because working in magazines through my 20s I've got to say all I saw through my bosses who were like gen x in their 40s all I saw was a frazzled woman I literally just saw frazzled women come into work worry about their kids be on the phone to their nanny try and have a meeting try and leave early try and do this try and do that and I and I and I'm not saying they didn't make it work of course they did but I just I just didn't see a template. I didn't see it working. So I think, yeah, we all have to figure it out in our own way, I suppose. And until parenthood is taken seriously as a kind of, as a work, (laughs) as like, as is valued, like, and that goes along with care, looking after elders. This This is about generally caring work which is essential for the beginning and the end of our lives until that's taken seriously it's like when someone has a day off with their child and then someone goes how was your day off (laughs) yes yes exactly exactly and i'm like they're gonna they're gonna murder you (laughs) but until that's valued i don't think that anything can change because structurally we are working against the people who do the care and that tends to be women on a positive note um, about how lovely children are, um, I was having a really bad day the other day and a FaceTime with my 18-month-old nephew made all of the worries go away. And I've just got to... I know people don't think, oh, Emma hates children, but that, you know, ugh, it is it is the best thing for a bad day. And I do think that, you know, there's probably parents listening right now and I truly believe it that there must not be anything better on those days when it's good. Emma's debut novel, Olive, is published on the 23rd of July, available from all good bookstores. Her new book, Sabotage, a handbook on how to slay your own sabotage, is out on September 24th. Check out her podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, and her newsletter, The Hyphen. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoyed this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and gives the series a boost. Give us five stars, you lovely lad. Thank you to Acast for hosting us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Ollie Birch for the music. And Gilad Vysotsky for the graphics. Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex and of course... Pleasure. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 